Welcome to this special episode of the Journal of Human Nutrition and Dietetics podcast. I'm James Nurse, the social media editor at another Wiley publication, the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease, and I'm briefly crossing the floor to highlight a wonderful paper that sits astride the interface of dietetics and metabolic medicine. My guest for this episode is Sarah Furman, a senior specialist dietitian at Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust and a research assistant at King's College London with research interest in inherited metabolic diseases. And we are talking today about her work, knowledge, perceptions, and behaviours regarding dietary management of adults living with phenylketonuria. Sarah, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks, James. So within inherited metabolic diseases, phenylketonuria or PKU is one of our most common diagnoses. But for many dietitians, it's really much more of a footnote. Could you briefly explain the condition and what it means for your adult patients? Yes, of course. So PKU is a rare inherited metabolic disorder of protein metabolism with a prevalence of one in 10,000 people within the UK. And this condition is characterized by an accumulation of phenylalanine due to a deficiency in the liver enzyme phenylalanine hydroxylase. So this enzyme normally converts phenylalanine to tyrosine, but due to the deficiency that's experienced with PKU, phenylalanine builds up in the body and there tends to also be a deficiency in tyrosine. If this condition is left untreated, high phenylalanine levels can result in irreversible intellectual disability. But since 1969, all children in the UK are screened for PKU. And with this early diagnosis and treatment, we are no longer seeing this irreversible intellectual impact. So in terms of managing the condition, dietary management is really the cornerstone of treatment within the UK. And more recently, we have also had safroxterin or BH4 become available which does provide another opportunity for um, people with PKU and is normally taken in collaboration with diet, um, so not necessarily a treatment in isolation. But when I ran the survey last year, dietary management was the only treatment option. And the diet, just very kind of top line, consists of two components. One is about limiting phenylalanine entering the body, and that's through a very strict low-protein diet, where people are prescribed a set number of what we refer to as exchanges. So an exchange is equivalent to 50 milligrams of phenylalanine or one gram of protein. And with needing to limit down protein to sometimes even as low as three to five exchanges a day, which would be three to five grams of protein a day, another really important component of the diet is protein substitutes, which provide all the remaining amino acids but are low in phenylalanine or free of phenylalanine. And both these components are really essential in dietary management. So what does this mean for adult patients? Um, Historically, treatment was focused in childhood and from the age of 12 or 18, people would come off the diet. But more recently, recommendations have advised lifelong treatment. The implications of um, PKU long-term and the outcomes later in the life are still yet to be determined, and there's a lot of work in that area. But since those recommendations have come out, we've seen a really big increase in adults expressing interest to return to diet. But amongst the adult cohort, there's a huge variation in dietary behaviours. Some have been on diet their whole lives. Others have come off diet and remained off diet. And some have come off for a period of time and then returned back to diet. And we see within our adult patients that high phenylalanine levels do for some have quite significant impacts. They can affect attention deficit, mood disturbances, and impairments in executive function. And for a lot of people, that is really the motivation to return to diet. 
you started to allude to it there. This the idea of the diet for life remains relatively recent in the UK, where we went from telling families they could liberalise to saying that they should be more strict throughout life. And it is a really difficult diet to follow. I mean, you've you've explained it beautifully, but it, it really glosses over the difficulty of just having five grams of protein a day, for example. What's currently known about the challenges people with PKU face when it comes to sticking to the diet? Completely. The diet is incredibly complex. It requires knowledge of these exchanges, protein phenylamine, being able to count exchanges, extract information from a label and do mathematical equations to work out how much to weigh of a food product to get a certain amount of exchanges, as well as finding a routine where protein substitutes can be taken sometimes three to four times a day. And then add this to the already busy lives that people with PKU are living, balancing these dietary demands with work, travel, you know, social life. And then on top of that, sometimes the neurocognitive and psychosocial impacts that PKU can have makes for a really, really challenging process of sticking to this diet. And we know that adherence to diet does reduce with age. And this was one of the big motivations as to why we undertook the study to really understand more about what are the factors that influence dietary behaviours to see how we could inform our clinical practice to improve the outcomes for adults with PKU. And within health education, it is known that there's a, a transtheoretical model that suggests that knowledge and attitudes influence behavior. So in this case, behavior being adherence to diet is thought that that would be influenced by the knowledge that someone holds about PKU and dietary management and also their attitudes and perceptions. There has been some studies previously that have explored this association, but more specifically around knowledge and dietary adherence or metabolic control in PKU. And this has been mostly in caregivers of children with PKU and a bit in adolescents or younger adults. But the evidence in adults with PKU is still very limited. And when we conducted the survey, there was no study that specifically focused on all elements, looking at both knowledge, perceptional attitudes and how these influence dietary behaviours. I mean, so given that there's no prior work of a similar magnitude of what you've undertaken, it's obviously a difficult thing to do. How did you go about collecting your data? We were really interested in trying to get a national representation across the UK of adults living with PKU to understand their knowledge, the perceptions and their dietary behaviours. So for that reason, we did an online survey. So that being electronic, it was easy to distribute and share out. We didn't need to know patients' details or postcodes to send a paper version so we developed the online survey and the survey in general consists of four major sections. The first section was about knowledge of PKU and the PKU diet. The second was around perceptions of the PKU diet. The third was to really understand dietary behaviours. So that was both current dietary regimen and also history of dietary management, including metabolic control. And then lastly, the section around demographics to really understand the cohort that were involved in the survey. And we, we distributed this online survey through multiple channels as we did want to get as much of a representation from across the UK of adults with PKU. And the National Society of PKU, which is the charity in the UK for PKU, kindly distributed the survey to all their members through email on their website and also on social media. We also shared it with the patients within the hospital that I am based and the PKU research patient advisory group that I work very closely with within our hospital 
were also instrumental in sharing it out to the PKU community. So they too distributed the survey out through various different means and other connections that they had. So those were the main avenues that we used to gather the data. That's a very thorough approach. And in the end, you had, I think, 180 eligible responses with 137 fully completed surveys. I mean, that's a real treasure trove of data in rare disease. What did you find? Yes, we were very, very pleased with the response that we had. It was exciting to have so much data to really delve into understanding knowledge, the perceptions and the behaviours. And we have a lot of data, uh, which I find very interesting, but just I suppose, top line, what did we find? Um, Overall, we found that participants' knowledge of PKU and the PKU diet was very good. However, when there was questions that were more specifically focused on understanding PKU or knowledge around PKU exchanges of common foods and also questions that required extrapolation of data from food labels and calculations to be able to report how much protein was in a product, there was much greater variability in the answers being correct, incorrect, or participants reporting that they were unsure of the answer. We also found that knowledge was significantly associated with whether a respondent had always been on diet, had returned to diet, or were currently off diet. So the knowledge score was much greater in someone who had always been on PKU diet the whole life compared to someone who was off diet. But interestingly, there was no significant difference between the knowledge someone held if they had always been on diet for life or had returned to diet recently. So that what we found was quite an interesting finding. In terms of perception of the PKU diet, majority of participants, their perceptions of the diet were not associated with dietary behaviours. However, there were three statements where um, the participants' perceptions were significantly associated with dietary behaviours. And these were related to concerns for long-term health, how someone felt when following a diet, whether they felt well when following a PKU diet, or whether they felt well when not being on a PKU diet. So those are just very top-line findings, and within that, we delved into each finding a lot further. So if anyone is interested in reading the paper, it is available on open access at the Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics. As you say, the paper is available to read. As you've mentioned, huge amounts of data. Were there any surprises tucked in there? I think um, delving in a little bit more into the statements around perceptions of the diet, we found it really interesting to understand the behaviours of participants who disagreed versus agreed with the statements. So some of the really interesting points were participants who were off diet, 60% of them agreed that when following a diet, the diet would keep them well. And 13% of participants who were off diet also reported to feel unwell when not on a PKU diet. So this is interesting and I suppose highlights the complexity of behavior and behavior change and maybe even draws in the concept of the transtheoretical model of change in that just holding the belief or knowing that the diet could keep them well isn't necessarily result in behavior change. There's so many different elements that play into why we um, do what we do. The other interesting point was around participants who were currently on the diet, 86% of them still remained concerned about their long-term health when on the diet. So we found this really interesting that even when on a PKU diet, there is still concern about someone's long-term health. And this has just really highlighted to us the complexities and the factors that influence adherence to diet. And I suppose the further research that really needs to go 
into this area to unpacking this and understanding it. The other um, point, which I did mention um, briefly, was interesting around the fact that there was no difference in knowledge between those who had returned to diet and those who had always been on diet. And from this study, it's unclear whether knowledge is the catalyst to returning to diet or whether part of returning to diet participants have received increased training and education and therefore have increased knowledge about the diet and dietary management. But it's interesting to know that, and I suppose reassuring, that knowledge gained can be equivalent for someone who's maybe thinking of going back to diet, who's maybe been off many, many years, that knowledge can be gained and acquired equal to someone who'd maybe been on diet their whole lives. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the the anxiety for the future. The first podcast we did at the Journal of Inheritance and Metabolic Disease was on PKU and ageing, and in a condition which only had a a viable treatment for the last 60 years, the, the future remains uncertain. Even if, if, we, if we try and reassure, reassure as much as we can for now, we don't really have a good long-term follow-up data set. Completely. Which is obviously why collecting new data is so important. Yes. It is a really impressive piece of work. Does it have its limitations? Yes. I think firstly, the strength of the study was our recruitment method. So we've ended up with one of the largest samples of adults with PKU from across the UK looking at influences on dietary behaviour But there are some limitations that need to be noted. One was that we definitely had a higher proportion of participants who had university education compared to the general UK population. So there is potential that selection bias may have encouraged more knowledgeable participants to complete the survey. And so it's important to bear in mind that maybe the knowledge of the general PKU population may be even in fact lower than what we've measured here in the study and important to keep in mind. The other limitation is that our knowledge questionnaire consisted of 25 questions and we appreciate that this may not encompass all knowledge related to such a vast area of PKU and the dietary management. But we do feel that one of the advantages of the study, which we really put a lot of time into, was making sure that the questions we did include covered the various different aspects of the diet. So PKU in general, as well as the exchanges, the protein substitutes, the metabolic control, phenylalanine control, and and monitoring and management. Obviously, sometimes when we get a lot of data, we we often talk about unknown unknowns. Now you know what we don't know, I suppose. Um, What has this data shown that we need to work on next? That's a really good point to cover. And certainly this research has highlighted a lot more gaps and areas that we can continue to put research into and also in terms of optimizing our clinical practice. So we did find overall, interestingly, that there was a greater number of people on diet would return to diet than has been shown in previous work. But there's still great room for optimizing our clinical services to support the care provided to adults with PKU. So starting from a clinical perspective, I think one of the take-home messages is that knowledge is associated with dietary behaviors. So It's really important that there is ongoing dietetic input to further enhance education and develop skills in dietary management. And also, it shouldn't be assumed that patients who have been on diet their whole lives don't need any further education. I think the study has highlighted that even for patients who are on diet, who may be in more regular contact with a dietitian, still experience cognitive dysfunction and would benefit from structured refresher education sessions at regular intervals. And I think um, a lot of the time our routine clinic appointments for adults with PKU don't always allow the time to do a full assessment of knowledge and provide this education and training. So 
maybe looking into establishing additional clinics that are dedicated to establishing this knowledge, whether it's with using the questionnaire we've discussed in the study or something tailored to your service, and to really understand what dietary management support is needed. And then I think from a research perspective, when thinking about the perceptions, we found it really interesting that participants shared similar perceptions about the diet, despite their history or adherence to PKU. I think we were maybe expecting there might be some differences. Um, and again, this probably comes back to the fact that the trans theoretical model of change and maybe people understanding where people are in that um, model, they may not be in action phase, maybe they're in pre-contemplative stage and that beliefs about diet might not necessarily translate to behavior change because it's so complex and multifactorial. So I think there's a lot more research to really understand what the motivators and beliefs are that influence dietary adherence for adults with PKU. The other area that I've alluded to that was of great interest to us was this concern that even on diet, participants are still worried about their long-term health. And I know there is research into this area, and I think it highlights the importance of ongoing research to understand what are the long-term neurocognitive, physical and functional outcomes for people with PKU and really building the evidence to help further inform our consensus guidelines that we have, but also allow adults to make informed decisions about their treatment and long-term management with PKU. And lastly, I'd say another area that's been highlighted that I haven't actually discussed one of the findings I didn't mention earlier, but participants who disagreed with the statement that PKU diet provides all the protein needed for exercise, they tend to, tend to consume more exchanges than what was actually advised. So they were taking above what health professional were advising. And we know from the 2017 European Society guidelines of PKU that we don't have enough evidence around exercise in PKU to have any set recommendations. So it's unclear how exercise impacts PKU in terms of metabolic control, but also protein requirements. And I think the study has just highlighted that concerns exist amongst people with PKU and it's another area of interest for future research. Well, it's a fascinating paper and I'd certainly urge listeners who are interested to go and read it. And it sounds like we'll be hearing more from you in future because you've obviously got an active research program ahead of you. If you would like to read this paper, be sure to click the link in the podcast description. And if you want to stay up to date with the latest dietetic research, please subscribe to the JHND podcast or why not download the Wiley online library app and add the Journal of Human Nutrition and Dietetics to your favourites list. Sarah, thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much, James, for having me. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.